0: Turn off the World Wind Visible Bands, turn on the False Color Bands, and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 102 with guests Chris Maxwell and Randy Kim, recorded live Friday, February 25th, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now offering hands-on VB.NET, ASPNet, and C-Sharp classes online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the UI essentials for rapid ASPNet development online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who was once told by a French waiter, no, you cannot park this space shuttle at the Eiffel Tower, Carl Franklin. A
1: uh, callback to the .NET Rocks movie of 2004. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, pretty good. The original joke was, No, you cannot put the ketchup on the chicken. And then, of course, it morphed from there into many things. Well, anyway, I'm Carl Franklin from New London, Connecticut. Tonight, Live dotnet uh, rocks. Show number 102, as Jeff said. Um, my co-host, Richard Campbell, out there in Vancouver, British Columbia. How are you, Richard?
2: Everything's good, man. Weather's beautiful out here. Wish you were here.
1: Yeah, I know. I was just looking at the weather in Vancouver on... Worldwind, which is like having your own personal little uh, weather station. It's pretty amazing. Or your own satellite. We're going to talk about that with, uh, with uh, Chris Maxwell and Randy Kim from NASA. But before I do that, I want to ask you, uh, what's on your mind these days? You know, you're, this is your chance to address the world, man.
2: Well, you know... I was looking at my schedule, just looking at what's coming up in the week, and one of the things I completely forgot about I'm going to have to work on this weekend is I'm doing a presentation to a a group of schools on internet safety. Oh, cool. We're we're getting parents and kids together, and I'm just sort of talking through some of the issues about what technology they want with their machines. I, I want everybody to get a NAT router. Yep. And uh, and antivirus software and uh, anti spyware, all of that good stuff. And then I want to talk about you know the best ways to use instant messaging and what to do with your email. Wow. And all those sorts of things of that uh, I think parents often struggle with uh, because they're not technical people and that their kids are often doing and they just need to have some picture of what's going on in there. What a great idea. Yeah, yeah. the Microsoft Canada guys love the whole concept. And then I think the big spin on that was really talking about. Um, how to use the tool, how to limit it uh, appropriately with children. You know, one of the things about a NAT router you can do is you can block individual websites. Right. I mean, it's not going to protect you from the ugliness on the internet, but it will give you a method as a parent to say, look, I'm going to let you be online, but you, you can't hang out on Neopets until you finish your homework.
1: Right, right. That's true. That's cool. So, uh, you know, we heard from Kirk, Kirk Webb, who used no to kidding. be on .NET Rocks, of course, with the weird wide web, then moved to Mondays, then got busy, got a job. And he is apparently so busy with his uh, company, uh, Environmental Data Resources, that he's looking to hire a programmer. So he put up a, you know, sort of a local website, you know, notice, and nobody has been biting. so I said I'd mention it on the show. So if you're in the Milford, Connecticut area, and you're looking for a full-time developer position, uh, contact him at employment at edRnet.com. And here's what he wants, uh, two to three years of professional experience, solid design and development experience using VB6, VBNet, ASP, ASPNet, and SQL Server stored procs, relevant college degree required, solid communication skills, written and verbal, no relocation or sponsorship for this position. And again, the email is employment at edrnet.com. So I thought I'd give him a shout out. And uh, I know that people are looking for work out there. That's a good, uh, good thing. Also got some great email this week, Richard. Um, this one from Ike Ellis, which you know we, we, we get a lot of emails from people who like the show, but this one was really interesting. Cool. He says, hi, Carl, I wanted to drop you a quick note to tell you how much I love your show. I'm a developer slash executive, and your show is an huh. essential tool that I use to make strategic business decisions for three separate companies. Wow. So we're like now helping people make strategic business decisions. Oh,
2: dear. That's kind of <laughs> scary. As, as if there wasn't enough pressure on us.
1: <laughs> so if you make a bad decision, is it our fault? Uh,
2: <laughs> it was those .NET Rocks guys, man. Know, they yeah. told me this was the technology to use. Well, anyway, uh, I'm,
1: I'm pretty confident that all the stuff that you hear on .dotnet Rocks is pretty sound. I think it's great that you developed Mondays to do the other stuff. Though entertaining wasn't as useful to my day to day responsibilities, we agree. Yeah. Also, Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we did it. Also, if you could keep your shows under seventy five minutes, it would help me a great deal. I only have a CD player in my car, and I need to burn your show to a CD so I can listen to it. So, uh, so remind me to tell the guys from NASA that if we go over seventy five minutes, that we're going to have to tell them to shut up. So. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why we have those part A, part B downloads. Yeah, on the I site. actually told them about that. He didn't realize that because he had been uh, downloading from Microsoft's website. Oh, yeah, right. They only have the full thing. That's right. They only have the full thing. So once he came to our site, he went, "Eureka! Thank you very much." Sweet. And because we, you're
2: not the only one listening to the show in your car. Yep. (laughs) That's
0: why we did it. We we split up the shows early on, actually. For that reason, for those people that aren't cool enough to have MP3 players or MP3 CD players in right. their car, Ooh. so Rob Windsor, who's
1: our friend from Toronto, uh, the Toronto Visual Basic User Group, and a regular in the chat room, yeah, and a regular in the chat room, and he's the co-founder and president and webmaster of that user group. He says, "Hey, Carl, I would like to officially apply to be the co-host for shows seven hundred to seven <laughs> fifty. <laughs> By that time, I figure my only competition will be Anson Williams and people whose code is featured on the daily WTF. And I'm sure I can kick their asses. What is that, 15 years from now? By the way, I may be the lifetime leader in getting letters read on the air. I think I'm at four, yet I'm still without any freaking useless crap. (laughs) Carl, please write up a total suck-up letter and send it to me so I can send it back to you and get a mug or a hoodie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Rob, I'm sorry, man.
2: We got to send Rob a mug. We'll, no, we'll send him a hoodie. He no, did. send him a pen. <laughs> we'll
0: send him a
3: guitar. Yeah, pick.
2: Maybe just a little, you know, little button that says "I love Carl." A guitar pick,
0: you know. By <laughs> the by, the time this guy's the uh, the co-host, will have moved from you know because we we had com, now we have .NET. We're gonna have gone through dot org when Microsoft goes open source info when they become you know just an information <laughs> you know technology company not releasing software and, you know, we'll go all the way up through dot WS and he'll be the host of uh, dot (laughs) CX (laughs) rocks.
1: Well, anyway, this one from Scott Fry. Uh, Hey, Carl and Richard. Carl, it was good to meet you at the mini code camp. I was the one that offered you the rolled up keyboard when you thought yours failed. Yeah, my keyboard kind of went wacky on me, although I found out it was software. It was Visual Studio. Oh, sweet. I'm only partway through episode 100 with only a half-hour drive to work each day. And because I listen to Mondays, .NET Rocks, and everything from IT Conversations, I'm always about a week behind. Uh, sad to hear that Rory is gone. He definitely brought a unique flavor to the show. And then I have a, a, an XML attribute, standard underscore praise. I have been listening to the show for about uh, for a long time, but I'm sure that Richard will be just as great. Uh, I, th- I think there's some text missing there, but I don't know. I think he has some of the funniest one-liners that often slip in when no one notices.
3: <laughs> yeah. I-
1: okay. Here we go. I've been listening to your show for about a year now, but I started at show one and listened to every episode. I feel like I know you guys and I have to say this show is totally awesome. I've been programming for 20 years, C and C++ and in VB for the last five years and I have to say, your show is the best thing to happen to programmers since we got off those silly punch cards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says some good stuff about me being a present, a good presenter. And then he says, anyway, onto my suggestion for which this entire email is about. While listening to your hundredth show on the way home from work tonight, you mentioned we should send you show ideas. First, let Bill Gates speak on your show. I'm sure you've turned him down several times, but he is the guy that made VB possible, and I think you owe it to him to be on at least one show. Uh, Yeah, I could probably concede to that. And then he also talks about uh, a lot more stuff about OOP, object programming, and .NET, especially VB.NET.
2: Oh really? You yeah. know and the funny he's not even got to one oh one and listened to Mark's discussions on that. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. So I'm I'm you know, I guess I won't read that. So, you know, it's basically what he says. Um, lots of these are the types of issues and maybe your other listeners would like to see discussed on the air between people from different sides of the issue of and he's specifically talking about containers or data sets here. Uh, if this is an issue I face every day when coding. Keep up the great work. Scott Fry. P.S. If you read this on the air, feel free to use my real name and/or email. All right. Okay. That's pretty much the mail. So that's some some nice mail. Yeah, it's good. We we don't uh, always get readable mail. You know, it's all good. We love it all. Don't get me wrong, but some of it's uh, you know we've heard before, and we got to pick the ones that we think will people would like to listen to. Well, anyway, so we've been spending the last three hours, you me and Jeff here. Uh, in our respective places, uh, messing around with WorldWind. I love it. And we are just amazed. And some of the guys in the chat room, too, we've been talking and just a sort of grooving on this thing. So I'm going to let uh, these, uh, these guys from NASA talk to us about it. Uh, Chris Maxwell is a lead software developer for WorldWind. And Randy Kim is a graphics and user interface expert, and they both work at the National Aeronautics and Space Administration in Silicon Valley. Welcome, guys, Chris and Randy.
4: Yeah, hello. Thanks for uh, inviting us to your show.
1: Oh, are you kidding? Thank you for coming on on our crappy show. And you guys are like rock stars to us, you know? Thanks. It's absolutely an astonishing piece of software. It's fabulous. It's amazing. Wow.
4: Fun to make it.
1: So for the totally uninitiated, why't why doesn't one of you tell us what this is?
4: Okay. Um, Worldwind is um, an educational piece of software that's um, designed to be a 3D visualization tool. So that's just a fancy word for saying that it's a, it's a 3D globe, And the idea is that I can go anywhere in the world, zoom up to any place, I could see it at any angle. And if necessary, I can switch to a different data set that's available out there so I can see anything that satellites see, aerial photography, or many of the other different products that are published by NASA within this tool.
1: Yeah, and that's, uh, that is an understatement. Um, this, this is in sort of an extensible, pluggable viewer, right? And how many, how many different views do you have built into the product?
4: I'd say maybe eight or ten. The trouble with answering that question is that uh, we're always hunting for different sources of data, and every time we find one, we kind of jump on it and try to find a way to squeeze it into world winds. Wow.
0: Yeah, there's, you know... Ha- well, I have a question. You know, where what is where is all this data coming from?
4: That's you know? a good question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the majority of this information, such as uh, the Landsat satellite information that we see... Or the MODIS information—they're all—they're all full of acronyms. Uh, the majority <laughs> of it comes from the different centers located across NASA. Sometimes it can come from uh, Goddard. Sometimes it can come from us. Uh, oh. The other sources of data that we also grab is, for example, um, the USGS topographic information and black yeah. and white aerial photography. You can grab that. Uh, that comes from uh, actually Microsoft Terra servers.
2: Interesting. Really, the Terra server data.
4: Yeah, that's right. Uh, the information that comes off of there, we well, can borrow it because they're based on all these established standards, and it was almost no effort to actually bring it into WorldSense.
1: Wow, fabulous. So I take it a lot of this data you're you're pulling down with web services, and first of all, we should say this is a .NET application. That's why that's why we're so fascinated
2: by it, right? Yeah. Oh, and, and you got to tell us, C Sharp or VB?
4: Okay, I'll let Chris answer this one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hog all the attention. <laughs> Well,
5: it's definitely C# though.
2: Ah, there you go. I
4: don't uh. know any VB. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Are there any other developers besides you, Chris?
5: Well, um I guess I'm the only full-time pro- programmer behind this. But we do have um um one or, uh, we have another part-time programmer who spends a little bit of his time on this. And then now recently in the last few months we have quite a few um developers from the open source community that have been contributing quite a lot of code to, to wow. development.
0: So this is an open source product or project?
5: Uh, yeah. Oh. It's, all, it's all open source, and we don't make any real reservations to it.
1: So, so back to the data question, Chris, and, or maybe Randy, I don't know, but uh, you're utilizing web services a lot to pull the data. I mean, I know you're doing that with TerraServer, but other sources of data? Right. Is the rest of the world uh, as hip as uh, to web services as Microsoft is?
4: Uh, well, let's see. We use a standard called WMS, and that okay. is uh, entirely based off the concept, of, I guess, web services, that we go ahead and pull the server, grab the data off of it, and import it into our applications because uh, – a uh, program like WorldWin, even though it's kind of big right now, it's totally impossible to fit all of that information on the on the a CD or a DVD or even 100 DVDs.
3: Right.
0: We
4: always have to go out and grab our information. Right.
0: Yeah. How do you determine like what kind of? I noticed the download was in excess of you know like 150 megs. How do you determine what's included in the application? Like what makes up that 160 megs versus what you pull down over the network?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, The actual program itself is not that big, maybe around a megabyte or so. Mm. But we wanted to throw in a lot of default information, both for technical reasons and for uh, something to get started off of. Yeah. For example, if the server wasn't available, you wouldn't see uh, like a really fuzzy globe.
2: Right. Like just the blue marble set, I imagine, is kind of the minimum data. Mm -hmm. You want to outline.
1: One of the greatest features I love about this and, you know, Before we actually get into some of the programming stuff heavily, but I want to talk about, you know, the features of this product. It's great. One of the greatest features is this, uh, and I guess it's MODIS, Mm M-O-D-I-S. Is that, what what does that stand for and and what exactly does that do?
4: Oh, good question. I should uh, actually go run out and uh, look that up at the moment. Oh, okay. What the acronym is. Yeah, we love acronyms at this place.
2: Yeah, you're hanging with the right crowd here. We're <laughs> the king of acronyms, too, but I mean, we can't remember any of them either. Okay.
4: I mean, Cr- Chris,
2: do you realize
1: like how godlike you are to our listeners? I mean, this is just insanely awesome.
5: Well, that I mean, makes me feel good because this is actually my first ever – or this is my first software project. What? What? <laughs> you
1: got to be kidding me.
2: Really? Nice start.
5: Well, I, I graduated from San Jose State. Um, 2 years ago and the first thing this was my first, I guess, real job and then my first real programming job at least. Wow.
2: Well, your biggest problem is going to be topping this.
5: Oh, uh, that's what my boss keeps telling me. <laughs>
1: this is incredible. <laughs> wow. Now, you guys have obviously seen Keyhole, right?
4: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: So Keyhole is like this thing that you pay for and they really only have like one one or two
2: sources of data,
1: right?
4: Um, actually, they have a whole uh, variety of different data sources, but what they've done, they combined it all together.
2: Yeah. I've always thought it was very predominantly U.S.-oriented, Keyhole was. Yeah. You know, Google bought them. Really? really? I
0: didn't know that. Huh. Yeah. Uh,
2: Google bought something? What else is new? Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, I know.
1: It's just amazing being able to to get a sense of the size of the Earth by zooming in at a constant speed, you know, and seeing how long it takes to actually recognize something on the ground. It's really insane. God, I
0: love this. Well, program. You turn
2: on the uh, the long lat indicator, and you get the altitude meter, and you know how right. high up you are. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I have to say to to put the the keyhole thing to rest. Yeah, keyhole. It's you know, you know, not to say anything bad about keyhole. Their product is is you know, it's it is what it is. It's very nice. They have this thing that's geared towards corporations and stuff, but. The level of flexibility is it's orders of magnitude below what, what, yep. Worldwind has, you know. And the interface, I think, in Keyhole is a lot and more cumbersome, I, I, but <laughs> yeah, the interface Hyper-troll is, is simple. I don't
4: want to get on anyone's nerves out there, though. It, the
1: interface <laughs> to Keyhole is simple and it's really made to be to you know, a model of simplicity, but you know, and for that reason, you know, there's so much stuff behind Worldwind that I didn't get until I actually started playing around with it. Like with Keyhole, like all of the data just comes right in when you zoom in and it's all like aerial photography. And so, you know, if you if you don't turn on that feature in Worldwind, you don't see it, but that's because there's a lot of other views also, and you know, why pick just one? And then there's animations.
0: Yeah, that's something that I was playing around with earlier. Richard had uh Richard actually found this when he was messing around with the program. He went to uh he went and looked at the South Pole and um and was under what is it under wms under oh geez i'm gonna have a heck of a time finding this now it was
2: in the cryosphere with oh, yes, the uh, the big iceberg sliding yes. around
0: yeah there's this phenomenal video of the of that giant iceberg in in antarctica that that detached and has been you know wreaking havoc on on uh, on the wildlife down there because they're having a harder time getting out to the ocean and it's just amazing because once you play this animation and I guess with a lot of the other layers too you can you can adjust the opacity um, and so you can you can actually you know see what everything looked like before and after you know with and without this video on top and it's just and it, it overlays the date of everything and it's just the amount of information just in this one layer is is, is mind-blowing and the flexibility and everything and Richard pointed out that when you start playing it, it downloads on the fly, and once it's pl- got two frames, it plays the two frames, and it's got three frames, it pl- plays the first three frames. There's no, you know, it doesn't make you wait before you get, you know, it's like almost instant gratification.
4: <laughs> yeah, this sounds like uh, the the feature that we have in WorldWind called uh, NASA SBS, which stands yes. for uh, Scientific Visualization Studio. yeah are yeah, right. a group over in Goddard, and they specialize in actually developing these really cool videos that demonstrate all of this wonderful educational material. And a lot of what they develop is um, based on animations and different projections and so on. But uh, what we're able to do is, like, we can borrow their stuff and we can place it on WorldWind, and then we can see it in, cont- in the context of a globe.
2: Yes, that's the big difference here: is visualizing the whole thing. And then I think you bring up the very—you've mentioned this a couple of times—and I guess you want to talk about a distinction between Keyhole and WorldWind. It's there is <laughs> definitely an educational bent to WorldWind. Yeah. You know, looking at stuff other than just cities.
1: Right. And look, trying to find my house on a map. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The thing that the thing that I think is totally cool, I'm watching this video. And for the first time, I've actually zoomed, you know, way, way out. I'm actually, you know, I have the entire southern hemisphere visible on my screen now. And you, you get a sense of scale that, that would be impossible, literally impossible to present with any kind of normal video media. Even if you say this is 15 kilometers long, this is 150 kilometers long, this is however many square yeah. kilometers or whatever. It's, there's nothing that's, that comes even close to being able to you know, use, my, use my mouse wheel. Scroll in, look at this Long Island-sized <laughs> piece of ice, yeah. and scroll out and say, "Oh wow, there's Long Island. It really is Long Island-sized." Right. Or you know, this is how big the thing looks relative to all of Antarctica. Uh,
1: just, this this wow. uh, modus thing. Let's talk about that for a, a minute because this is essentially linking up events, historical events, uh, in all kinds of uh, earth-related, you know, weather-related, or what have you uh historic events and you can actually see them and watch them um the tsunami is was pretty incredible I, I that sort of caught me by surprise. I was spinning around the globe and I saw this white thing that looked like a hurricane you know and in zooming in, I just accidentally right clicked on it and then i'm off I have some more information on a web page somewhere. I just love that interface that's that's great
4: that's uh yeah the uh the modus uh, project, I guess, is uh, called the uh, Moderate Resolution Imaging Spectral Radiometer. Um, <laughs> it's actually a <laughs> summary for a series of uh, two different satellites uh, called Terra and Aqua. And what they do, they revolve around the Earth every day. Mm-hmm. And what's neat about it is that they transmit more than just visual images of the Earth every single time. Uh, they can see in spectrums that we might not normally be able to see, such as the infrared spectrum and so on. Yeah. What happens is that they archive all of this wonderful information on their site at Rapid Fire modus, And what we've been able to do is write a wrapper to actually grab that information and place it within Worldwinds. Wow. We
2: were when we were looking at uh at Vancouver in close detail uh, and uh Jeff suggested flip to the false color bands and suddenly there's a whole other set of data there. You know, they we could see the dredging in the rivers. It came out very clearly. I, I don't know how else you could ever see something like that.
4: Yeah, uh, the, the spectrums that we're able to see or play around with the colors, it brings out different uh, features out of the Earth, such as vegetation, or uh, we can see the temperature and the altitude. We can see different things and consistencies throughout, uh, depending on what we're looking at.
1: Okay, so can we start talking about the program? Because I've am i got <laughs> just got a couple of... Uh, <laughs> Couple of things to throw out there, and this is an open ended question, but I want to know how you deal with large blobs of memory garbage collection. I mean, are you using the standard dispose finalize uh patterns or or do you have something else up your sleeve? Because obviously you're dealing with a lot of data coming and going very quickly.
5: Um, yeah. Um I guess there's kind of like two categories of memory, at least in in terms of what Worldwind uses. There's, I guess, the the RAM um, for the system, mm-hmm. and then there's the RAM on the graphics card. Okay. And in both ways, in uh, I guess, in both categories, we use the Dispose method, kind of built into the framework.
1: So
0: this is Managed DirectX.
5: Yeah, Managed DirectX.
0: So, so that's interesting. I actually never thought about that before. When you're dealing with managed DirectX and you're doing 3D rendering like this, you actually have to take into account what textures you've loaded onto the memory on your video card and unloading that stuff and handling stuff like that.
5: Um, yeah, actually, um, you have to. I guess when you like um, allocate your normal array of of you know uh, objects, just as a, in a normal application, generally you don't have to call finalize or dispose or anything like that on it. It just kind of automatically gets. Read yeah. by the framework. But for the managed DirectX stuff, um, at least as far as textures are concerned. And uh well, you have to I mean I guess they get loaded onto the graphics card and then you have to call dispose in order to get them off. Otherwise they stay there.
1: Now do you ever invoke the garbage collector collect method yourself or do you just let it let the G C do its thing?
5: Yeah, I never um explicitly call that.
1: Huh. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any kind of bonks with the GC sort of slowing down anything. Although, you know, I wouldn't know if it was the GC. But I have Richard, have you experienced any kind of? Because I know that was an issue with, uh, with the, with the first framework. You know, with yeah, some, no, i
2: never. I mean, I've just never dealt with this kind of volume of data either. True.
1: No, I meant in using the program, you didn't notice any any kind of stuttering. Is it ever bonk hard? Yeah, I mean, I haven't. I haven't.
2: No, no, not really. Of course, the machine I'm running it on is a, is a horsepower monster too, so <laughs> it just loves this. I'm
1: running it like on a stupid little Dell uh, Latitude notebook, and it's doing
0: great. Yeah, yeah. I'm using I, it on, on on a machine that's using uh, that's using an, a you know chipset graphics, Intel chipset graphics, and aside from a couple of rendering errors when I'm really zoomed in at an extreme angle, um, it's and that's you know Intel graphics chipsets not to say anything bad about intel but they're not designed to handle this kind of thing and it just blows my mind it's it's totally you
1: know it's right. it's responsive so so i mean anyone who says managed code isn't fast enough for for graphics obviously never saw this wow well, yeah spin the globe rotate it yeah turn on the momentum chris is that uh is that you're you're doing the momentum thing
5: um kind of my influence uh that's actually kind of a um Wait, what version are you using by the way? <laughs>
0: I'm using the latest 1. which 2. is 1.2. Yeah, we're 2. using 1.2 not the so alpha. If,
1: so if you press F11 and you just give it a good, you know, a good uh spin or you move it and you let go, you know, it starts spinning by itself.
5: Oh yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that then that would be uh, I guess my code. Cool. Um in version 1.3 that we're releasing I guess, if you actually go to the chat the chat channel you can download uh-huh. an alpha version. Um, but there's going to be a new um, navigation camera system. Really? And it's it was de- developed by one of our other um, open source community guys. And um, it's, it's just pretty amazing. And it, it kind of takes that motion momentum to the next level. Wow. And he kind of coined the term planet gravity.
3: Yeah,
1: that's but what it kind of is.
5: Um, yeah, basically, it's it's something kind of it kind of extends upon what I've already put in there.
1: Sweet. Do, um, now this camera thing—Are you talking like you know I want to take a tour uh, up the Mississippi River kind of stuff, or?
5: Um. I, well, what do you mean by just kind well, of? Well, I mean, will you back? be
1: able to? Will you be able to like plot courses and and do animations through? You know, like if I wanted to say I wanted to, uh, you know, have a view down the Lewis and Clark Trail or something like that at such and such altitude.
5: Oh, well, then that, um, actually, that kind of relates to another upcoming feature then. Um, We're trying to implement a scripting ability uh, where you can, I guess, record a path and then play along.
2: Wow, like a replay of of a, Mm -hmm. a given trip?
5: Yes, and then the idea being that users will record what they did, and then or have some kind of preset, and then they can make that available for other users, and then those users can.
0: Uh, and this is this run is kind of script. early to to ask something like this, but for for that kind of scripting, and and I guess for for most of your storage, are you going to be using standard formats like XML files and and stuff like that, or are you developing your own stuff?
5: Um, for for stuff like that, it's it's all XML. But there's a certain ways that we store some of the performance-critical data, like uh, place names, for example. Ah. yeah. Those would not play well to XML be- just because they need to be um, loaded really quickly and then unloaded
4: really quickly. And yeah, there's like uh, four to five million of them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot
2: of data. I've, I zoomed in on Washington, D.C. with all the place names turned on, and the whole screen turned yellow.
3: <laughs> with all the
2: names. Like, you can't read any of them. There's so many.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to try that right now. Yeah, I'm in <laughs> Boston doing the same thing. What What do you say about that? I mean, wow h- how do you how do you deal with all that data, all those names? You know, when you have two names right over each other, I guess you just have to zoom in deep enough, right, so that they separate?
5: Well, actually, some names are exactly on each other. So no matter how far you zoom in, they'll <laughs> still be exactly on top of each other.
0: Yeah, ooh, and, fun. Um,
5: yeah, one of that's one of the things that we have to go through and try to solve is what right. do you do when you have that kind of situation? Do you should you just kind of concatenate them together, or kind of yeah. collectively push them apart, um,
0: put them in a window with a little box around them where the corner is, or something like that? That's a problem Mark Miller could
1: solve. I yeah, think. Mark yeah. Miller's great about that stuff. <laughs> should talk to him about he set it all on fire (laughs) he does things with uh with he does similar things where he's got arrows that point from locations nearby that uh that are uh you know in where the words themselves are the thing that's itself is isolated from all the other things but i don't know if that's going to work because then you you've got points and lines and stuff and or anyway, we're not here to solve your problem. So <laughs> yeah. We want to know.
5: Beauty, one of the good things about this program is that it's really modular. So that if somebody wanted to do that, they can kind of keep it separate from everything else in the program. And, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to just try it out and see if it works. Or... Now, Is that
0: is that the kind of thing you'd actually, would you have to open up the code for that? Or do you have a plug-in type system?
5: Uh, well, we're trying to develop a plug-in type system. Um, it's kind of like halfway there, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like right now, you have to pretty much just go right into the code and and do it. But you know, being open source, and I, we're not very um, critical about who we give CVS access to.
3: And right,
5: it's not that big a deal.
2: Yeah, the whole thing's on SourceForge now, right? Yeah, that's right. How long has it been in the works?
5: Um, well, that's actually leads into another uh, subject. Um, I guess you can kind of say that. Worldwin is a derivative of a project that was started three years ago called um, Blue Marble Viewer, and that was written by a guy... That
0: sounds familiar.
5: Yeah, and that was a a Linux-native project. And very shortly after that was made, where pretty much it was just kind of looking straight down at the world, and it was only the Blue Marble data set. So there was no 3D terrain or anything downloading, nothing like that. But shortly after that that came out... um, and that was kind of sponsored by um my boss and his group back then. I wasn't I wasn't a part of that. Mm. Um but shortly after that they tried to port that to Windows because that's kind of our core audience. I mean right. education, I mean, you know, no
2: It's it's everybody's core audience.
3: Yeah.
5: yeah. <laughs> so I mean nobody's got Linux. So they tried to port it to Windows and there was a lot of problems with usability. Um there was a lot of bugs and it just it just wasn't working out. So this other guy named Tom Gaskins, who's actually still works in our group, uh, made the first version of WorldWind, which was based on c um, .net, uh-huh. and it used a wrapper for OpenGL. Okay. And again, that had a similar thing where it was just the blue marble data set, and you look straight down. Um, that one actually had place names and borders. And um, about a few months after that started, I came on board, and I kind of... Took that project and I, I tried to work with it, but I got to the point where, you know, I wanted to throw in terrain. I wanted to throw in high high resolution imagery. Mm. So I kind of just started to rewrite the entire engine using Managed DirectX and C mm. sharp. And, well, wow. I've been doing this for two years now, like almost two years.
2: Yeah. Wow. And what made you pick .dot net?
5: Um, it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I didn't, I was actually, I mean, being fresh out of school, I didn't have that much experience with any one particular language.
2: Yeah, I thought, you know, coming out of university, it would have been more open source oriented, or right. more uh, Java, um, open source platform, Linux oriented.
5: Um, well, in my school, we did kind of, we st- I mean, I started off with C, and then I was in school for six years, so I kind uh. of got, I went, you know, I started with C, and then we went to C++, and then at the end, they started infusing us with Java. So when I came out, I kind of had a mix of, like, all different languages. I didn't really specialize in any particular one. And then with this project of being .NET, I tried looking at the code, what was already there. And it just, you know, it felt easy to work with. So it kind of made sense to use Direct, managed DirectX at the time. Because, I mean, I was having problems with um, the C-sharp wrapper at OpenGL. And, you know, I couldn't use some functions, and it was pretty hard to debug stuff.
2: Is, is that how you ended up in DirectX, was just because OpenGL was such a pain?
5: It was it was kind of a pain, and it just it just didn't seem to fit right uh, with the you know with the framework .dot net framework, and it also kind of made sense because you know all the games use DirectX these days.
2: Right. So. And this thing really is more like a game than anything. Oh, else. Yeah. oh yeah.
1: <laughs> this is you know you, I don't know I could spend hours with this. I have spent hours with this. Actually. Yes, we have already. <laughs> and I'm going to spend a few more hours before this night is over. Um, but anyway, here's a question for you: What about security? I mean, is it, are there any security issues with topographical data or or aerial photography? I, you know, things blurred out over Washington D.C. that kind of stuff.
4: Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, that, those are legitimate concerns, of course. Uh, however, all of the data that Worldman has access to and that everyone can grab from, and so on. All of that information is already publicly accessible
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, in different formats and so on. So there right. are actually no concerns whatsoever uh, with uh, that potential problem, I guess.
1: Cool. So you don't, you're don't you not a believer in security through obscurity?
4: Um, <laughs> no, not quite with this tool. I yeah. I can take that as a philosophy behind it. But uh, if there were any concerns, it's already been taken care of.
2: Sure. Yeah, The data wouldn't be unclassified in the first place, I presume. I mean, come yeah. on. It's not rocket science. Uh-huh. Uh huh. it's my friend Carl he has a funny one every so often <laughs> yeah you wouldn't believe the
1: questions I fielded from the chat room that I'm not going to ask you you know about you know because people assume that anyone from NASA is like an expert on the universe like you know so yeah lots of astrobiology questions or even you know stuff like did we really
2: go to the moon you know
0: yeah do you guys know <laughs> if we really went to the moon come on I want to hear <laughs> jeez
2: Nah, no, I wouldn't th- I wouldn't touch that.
0: No.
1: development should definitely check out Telerik, RAD, R-A-D, Control Suite, the UI essentials for rapid ASP.net development, online at www.telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com, their new sponsor, and uh, we've taken their tools for a test drive here, and we like what we see. This indispensable collection of components cover the major aspects of most web applications, From the CMS Backbone and the WYSIWYG editor to Navigation, Content Rotation, and Charting. Telerik has just released version Q1 2005 of the RAD Control Suite, which features new major versions of their TreeView, PanelBar, and Charting components. The company has been prominent for frequent releases, so you can expect something new every month. RAD Controls is not merely a collection of ordinary controls, but rather a value set of products, many of which are market leaders in their respective categories. They've received a number of industry awards and recognitions. Moreover, as of June 2004, a modified version of their flagship control, the HTML content editor called RAD Editor, has been made available by Microsoft as a replacement of the default HTML placeholder in Microsoft Content Management Server 2002. All the individual controls can also be purchased separately. If you only need navigation components, for example, you can opt in for the subset called RAD Navigation Suite. A subscription option is also available, which entitles you to new products and free updates for one year. So you should definitely check them out. Telerik RAD Control Suite Q1 2005 for ASPNet at
2: www.telerik.com.
0: You know, getting back on a, on a technical track rather than the philosophy of .NET, um, I've been playing around with this program and I'm zooming in and I'm zooming out, and you know, I've been wondering how are you handling things like mip mapping? Is that something you're just letting DirectX do as people are zooming in and out of this? Or mip mapping? Yeah, mip mapping, which is um, which is I guess the selection of of textures and changing the sub rendering of pixels in the textures depending on how close you are to the texture and, and stuff like that. Okay. Um. Uh, well, sorry. Uh, go ahead. <laughs>
5: well, uh, actually, WorldWind kind of uses an implicit way of doing mip mapping, where um, the actual textures that get loaded don't actually have any mip maps, but there are several levels of kind of um, of textures. Where um, I mean, we call them tiles. So, uh-huh. if you're looking really far out, where you, you you have the whole globe in view, you have about Um, let's just say you have, like, 50 tiles that are loaded right there at a particular resolution. So when you start zooming in, um, I mean, we use the term level of detail. Um, Higher resolution tiles get get loaded um, for the particular view that you're looking at. So if you start zooming down into the United States, um, more images, more tiles will get loaded that are um, actually better images, better right. tiles, better resolution tiles for just the United States. And then if you start zooming in even closer to, say, California, uh, more tiles will get loaded that are better resolution for just for California. And it's kind of like a recursiveness where you just keep getting, as you get closer to the surface of the Earth, um, higher resolution tiles will start loading. And that way it's it's a way of handling um lots of data without actually having to render like the entire world right at you know 1 meter per pixel at this you know all at once
0: all right so so i've got a question as as we're pummel- as we're going down through all this data i can see you know i'm looking right here i'm zoomed out and i'm looking at usgs oh, no, sorry i'm looking at blue marble data but as i zoom in it looks like i'm hitting usgs data um how are you handling matching stuff like well, besides, you know, the obvious matching edges and making sure everything's in the right spot, how are you handling things like colors and, and all of that kind of stuff? Because all these things look, you know, the source material must look very different. It's all coming from different satellites and aerial. and Yeah. Yeah. You
5: know. um, we don't <laughs>
3: actually
5: do much to the colors themselves. So if you're going, if we're downloading some images from TerraServer, uh-huh. what you see in WorldWind is basically what you... What gets transferred over the wire, and if TerraServer actually has a website that you can go to, and you can, they have their own web interface for their all for all their data. So if you look at their web interface and you look at WorldWind, um, it would be basically the same thing. But you know, in the future, we're kind of thinking, you know, maybe we could start playing with maybe colors. Say we go to some website and they give us imagery that's kind of a like digital values of the actual scientific data, I guess Worldwind could technically convert those digital digital values into certain colors and, or maybe exaggerate or enhance certain things hmm. depending on the user's interest. Yeah.
0: So, so um, another another quick question: How much work do you have to spend actually mapping this stuff to the sphere? Is that you know like is that that's pretty. St- Seems like it should be pretty straightforward math until you start doing stuff like you're rendering, you know, uh the topographics and and stuff like that. How do you how much work do you have to do to get this data in the right spots um, you know, after you pull down just the raw, you know, the raw uh image? Jeff,
1: I'm really glad you're on the show, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> These are great questions <laughs> okay. and I wouldn't have thought of them.
0: <laughs>
5: um that that's actually one of the simpler things in in WorldWind. Um it's basically just um, applying a mathematical model to your, your rectangular image based on um, the bounding box of that image, so each corner will have like a lat lawn and so you would just apply like a kind of a rectangular grid onto that um, onto that image, and then through just a simple formula, it gets um, those those kind of grid points get transformed into the spherical mesh huh.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I think you see that in the MODIS uh, option where you're taking a particular satellite scan of a particular thing, an algae bloom or a fire or whatever else, and just laying it right over right. the Landsat data so that it, it merges perfectly. All the coastlines line up and so forth. But it's a totally different kind of image.
1: Let me ask you this. What Did you use any kind of uh, modeling tool for the, for the object hierarchy, like any kind of uh, UML tools, uh, rational maybe, or you know what? What kind of architectural tools did you use?
5: Um, the only the only tool that we use is Visual Studio, and that kind of brings another subject. In that there's like basically no documentation for any of the technical details of Worldwind. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I guess the way it's constructed and the way C Sharp .dot net and DirectX are kind of pretty easy to follow and read. At least the way the code's structured yeah. and everything, right? Um, the developers really haven't had any real trouble understanding how it works. And they, I mean, for the most part, they can just dive right in and start contributing.
1: So you started with a whiteboard, basically.
5: Um. Yeah, kind of. <laughs>
1: wow. And do you use uh, data sets, or are you? Did you write your own objects for data containers, or you know how do you, how do you uh, pass data around?
5: Um, well, I try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, it's a lot of files. I try to keep data inside files and.
1: Okay. So do you, do you have, do you have classes that wrap those files and get the data out as needed or?
5: Um, yeah, there's a few classes that will wrap a file, but. I mean, yeah, basically, we just try to keep everything really simple. Right. I don't really know how to do anything really complicated.
1: No, that's, you know what, though? Look at this. I mean, this is beautiful. This is beautiful stuff.
2: You should be really proud of yourself, man. Now, you said you were in school for six years working on this two years, so you're what, 26? Uh, 27? How?
5: Almost 26. Give me a few more months.
2: <laughs> wow. Wow. NASA's lucky to have you, man. Like, this is this very talented
1: thought in your code. I think the .NET community is lucky to have them. and I, and I think maybe like a keynote appearance at uh, Dev Connections or something might definitely. Because I think that the community at large is really, really interested in in you know real projects like
2: this that that do uh, amazing things. Well, and this is just not another uh, business accounting piece right. of software; it's something totally different.
1: Yep, and that's that's right. Most of us out here are writing CRUD programs, you know, uh, accessing data putting it in a grid, editing, save it. Boring shit.
5: <laughs> well, it's been really fun to write this program, and I, just, I guess it makes my worth ethic better. I mean, I would sometimes I go home and you know, I just keep coding just because I want to see what will happen next. You know, what else can I throw in here that would be really cool to see? And then you know, I come and show, show Randy the
4: next day. He's like, oh, my God, what did you do? And <laughs> It doesn't look like what it used to look like the other day. And
2: Yeah. I'm quite amazed that you're able to wrap these things around the sphere. True. Like the continents wrap perfectly. There must be some incredible math involved in that.
5: Well, it's actually not as complex as you think. I guess the biggest trick is just making sure that um, the images that we do use conform to a certain right. uh, mapping standard, that's CIS mapping standard. Ah. There's, there's like
3: that makes there's sense.
5: dozens of mapping standards out there, and you have to kind of just... At least, if you're using one mathematical model, you have to make sure that all your images fit that mathematical model.
1: Yeah.
2: So there's sort of a test for every new set of data you want to bring in that it's going to comply with these things.
5: Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, you know, we have to kind of make be kind of selective about what we pick, but at the same time, the mathematical model that we use, there's no, there's there's nothing that says somebody else can't come along and apply a new mathematical model for a different mapping projection.
1: I got a question for you. So, and and I don't know who's going to answer this, but now I, there's there are animations that you can do for these historical things that have been significant. Is this is the Modis thing that sophisticated that you can sort of watch weather in quasi real time?
5: Actually, okay, that brings up another thing. Um, about a couple months ago, I, I was toying around with real time weather, and I found this place, um, the Naval Research Labs. And I kind of was poking around that website, and I noticed that they have real-time weather updated every 15 minutes. So I guess I spent two days just kind of trying to get that data, um, that connectivity into WorldWind, just to see, you know, I want to see what real-time weather looks like. And um, I think that might actually somewhere, might be buried somewhere in version 1.2e or 1.2d, just as kind of like a hidden secret um, on one of the keys. But oh wow it's, it's actually kind of in there, and we've been talking to those guys to kind of make it an official add- on, but um, we just kind of got sidetracked on a couple of Now
1: things. is that going to be weather text or weather satellite imagery or uh, there, radar it's, or
5: it's weather satellite imagery radar i mean it's, they had i mean it's real imagery, colors, and you see the clouds are moving oh wow, you can see the rain amounts. Just like what you would see on the weather channel or anything like
0: that. That'd be nice to have as, uh, that would be to excellent. set this application as, uh, you know, have it running in, in the background behind everything else, make all your other windows a little transparent and, you know, just have the world weather in the background. Um, there
2: all the time with the, uh, the day night band running across. Yeah. All that good stuff. I
0: got a, I've got a wishy-washy sort of, uh, question for you. Um, as I've been poking through some of the SVV, uh, some, some of the SVS stuff that, uh, that nasa's been providing um i was looking through the biosphere section i'm looking at the rondonia deforestation and it's depressing do you ever find that looking at some of the some of the kind of negative impacts that uh that humans like can visibly have in this program it it really presents it in a in a in a different way do you find that that's been helpful to help show people, you know, gee, when we cut down forests, it's really noticeable and, you know, our cities really are this sprawling and, you know, you can see the effects of pollution. Do you see World Wind as being used as like an educational tool to try to, you know, promote environmentalism? And also, do you get depressed when you look at this stuff?
4: (laughs) I'm familiar with that one because uh, sometimes people point uh, those uh, scenes out to me. For example, uh, one thing I didn't notice before when I was looking at a pseudocolor, satellite image set which brings out the vegetation yeah one person was uh pointed out to me that over yellowstone they have that uh, pretty rectangular border around the park itself yeah but if you were to look just to the left of that um you'll notice that i guess the forest cover is pretty patchy over there hmm. you, know? you can come up with your own conclusions i guess uh with what's going on down there just by looking at the image it's pretty compelling
1: how about crop circles? Do you have like a crop circle database?
4: I haven't seen any crop circles, though. So,
1: um. I actually found one on Keyhole. I was talking about this on the Mondays the other day, but I found one in England on Keyhole. It was definitely a crop circle. You know, wh- wherever it came from, something, I don't know. Something but, that got
0: caught in an aerial photo or but something? But
1: it got caught in an aerial photo. It was kind of funny.
0: As I'm as I'm plugging around through various uh, through various data sources here, I'm noticing, you know, some of these data sources uh, are, are down. Have you guys do you guys have an antagonistic relationship with any of the people that you're <laughs> pulling this data off of? Because you know, this must be a, a pretty popular program. There's a lot of data getting sucked off of a lot of servers. You know, how, how are you guys dealing with that politically?
4: Well, let's see, a lot of the traffic that has occurred uh, lately has been a certain strain on a lot of our servers, not just for the data side of things, but also just to grab the original client, yeah. uh, because it's so large to begin with. Yeah, I use BitTorrent. Um, <laughs> some people right. have really uh, actually r- run together, try to scrounge up whatever they can. We have one person uh, who is managing the open source software site over at Ames Research Center. Um he uh, went out of his way to actually scrounge up some old machines just to find enough machines to find to get the, I guess enough mirrors out there so people can actually download the program when uh, this project actually started taking off.
1: And I I bet the federal government isn't handing out dough for bandwidth. Any uh, you not. know?
5: No, they really actually want us to be self-sustaining. So if we say we want to deliver the entire Landsat globe, and you know we expect to have like several hundred gigabytes of da- uh, throughput per day. They just kind of really frown on that. So we've, right. one of the biggest things we had to do was to try to go out to other private companies and try to get them interested in hosting this data.
1: I have an idea for you to make some money. So you're zooming in, you're looking at Chicago, and all of a sudden this big Pepsi can just pops right oh, out. Yeah, that's a can.
0: great idea, Carl. <laughs> Yeah, well, wait for me to come over into the studio there and smack better you upside yet, the Better head.
1: yet, you could like subliminal messages in here, so all of a sudden, you know, I'm I'm watching the Gobi Desert and I'm getting really thirsty, you know? And, and
0: it's Pepsi that I want, not anything else. Um all right. So you guys are talking about data stuff, and I was actually chatting about this earlier um in, in your IRC channel, plugged to the IRC channel. You can probably find a link to it on their website, but it's uh it's what is it? It's pound worldwind on freenode, IRC net you know it seems like there are all these people running this application um there's all this data that needs to get moved around it seems like this would be a prime candidate for you know distributed uh data sharing like why you know what's uh why are you guys using a standard downloading system why for example aren't you wrapping you know like a modified version of the BitTorrent protocol wrapping your program around a modified version of the BitTorrent protocol or Something like that or some other, you know, feel
1: free to answer just because there aren't enough hours in the day because, you
5: know. <laughs> um, actually, when we first got slash dotted, it was that was back in late September, our primary Landsat download server went down due to the, just the tremendous traffic from all the FlashDotters. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that they, you know, they just kept asking for BitTorrent, BitTorrent, BitTorrent. One of the problems uh, here at NASA, though, is we can't use BitTorrent for uh, security reasons. So it's Ah, not like I can just develop for it. But we did have another open source developer make a BitTorrent um, patch or something. Uh, He he did take WorldWin and he integrated BitTorrent into it. But I guess the biggest issue with BitTorrent and those kinds of peer-to-peer sharing mechanisms is just that WorldWin uses a large amount of small files. And when I say large amount, there's potentially millions of files well, there are millions of files that go into a lot of these data sets. And it's just the overhead for each yeah, file that right. needs to be downloaded yeah. through a peer to peer sharing is just, it's probably more than the file yeah. itself.
1: So, what you need is lots and lots of servers all over the world for, and then go round robin, get as many, you know, get them from each server in, in series,
5: right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, either that or, or an insanely intelligent peer-to-peer networking system which doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Um
5: maybe the next generation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, well, here's a question, cool. you know, you're talking about a lot of these a lot of small files. So each one of these, I guess one of these tiles that I'm looking at is is a is a, you know, is, is an in, each one of these tiles is an individual file or how do the, how does the tile system work, you know, like obviously the blue marble set well that's included in the program right the blue marble set but uh, for example the jpl uh global landsat mosaic visible bands pan-shapened um there's more than one level of that and there are different there are multiple files for each individual area so you couldn't it wouldn't make sense to like do an entire layer as one giant shared file because that would just be enormous right i mean what kind of what kind of file sizes are you talking about for the whole zoomed in thing everywhere?
5: Um, well, let's say you wanted to just download the entire Landsat mosaic. Okay. That would <laughs> probably be on the order of a few terabytes.
3: Oh, nice.
2: Very nice.
5: <laughs> and I think TerraServer they're serving up around 20 terabytes of images.
2: Jeez, you could actually blow my file server out of the water. <laughs> Gosh. I thought I, I I was doing well with 2. What if, what if somebody's listening and
1: has bandwidth that they want to uh, contribute? Which is a strong how, possibility. Yeah. How, how can they do that? Who should they get oh, a hold of?
4: Um, I could answer this one. That actually already has happened. Some people have already come forward and actually donated their time, their development, and uh, and the bandwidth to actually host WorldWind and its data. And uh, just to <laughs> give some props out to them, I'd like to thank the open source community. Uh, for example... We have a site called worldwindcentral.com, and then they have been very generous in uh, providing all of these resources for us. Because we're just a new project. We're still getting off the ground.
1: Oh, this is great. Hey, well, how long ago has it been since you guys went open source, source to put and put it into, into SourceForge?
4: Mm, it was an open source project to begin with. Uh, when did the open source thing happen, Chris? Uh,
5: that happened maybe a month after the slash dot, So that would be maybe uh, October
0: Slash Shuttle will make you want to go to somebody else's servers. <laughs> and
5: please help us. Yeah. What,
1: uh, what's, what are some of the things we can expect in the next version?
5: Um, the next version that should be due out any day uh, will have um, pretty much a brand new interface. Um, really? We've tried to merge most of the, at least the core interface elements, into the DirectX window and tried to ditch a lot of the um, Windows Forms elements just because... You can do so much more with a DirectX window than you can with, and, and be much more dynamic and um, interactive, much more like a game. Okay. And um, you know, one of our core audiences is kids, and we want to make this program very interactive and very inviting for for the user. So, right. Expect just that you know the interface will be much more animated and lively. And. Does they're looking for.
1: does Flash play a part in this at all, anywhere?
5: No, not not. I don't, I don't. I don't know how to use it. But you know, maybe one day I can. We can figure something out. But it's not used right now.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I, I've got a sort of another philosophical-ish question for you. Um. You know. I, I guess you know you're trying to appeal to a pretty wide audience, but there's a huge amount of data that's available in this application, and a lot of layers you can turn on and off. How are you guys? You know, going about making. Decisions as to what's visible on the front of the, you know, what's what's visible at first glance in this program. How much stuff you have to dig for. How are you balancing, you know, uh, depth of options and usability?
4: Well, right Hmm. now, let's see how can I answer this one. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. You (laughs) you can you can choose not to answer that. No, no problem. With WorldWind, at first when we were when we were starting developing of of the programs. Uh, We really didn't have that many features to begin with, and every time we came up with one or a new data set, oh, yeah, we'll just throw an icon. And slowly, we've been filling up the horizontal side of the screen, so now we're trying to think, okay, um, where are we going to put all this stuff? Uh, Other than the usual, we tried uh, making our own interface, uh, I guess not using the Windows GUI itself, but Uh internal to the program so it can scale. And uh, so, depending on their resolution, it looks uh, consistent, uh, depending on what... Uh, size of the screen that they've got. Mm. Or oh, we're still playing around with different strategies.
5: I think another strategy that we are we might try to lean towards is kind of being adapted to what a person's looking at. So let's say that a lot of the um, data sets are kind of local to an area. So like the USGS stuff is only local to the United States. If you're looking at Africa, there's no reason for you to see that there's any USGS stuff available. And making the interviews kind of adaptive to what people are looking at would probably be the next step to kind of...
2: The, the buttons, buttons would, would uh, disable themselves as, themselves as you move to an area where there's, where there's no data. data.
5: Or maybe just disappear entirely and maybe new buttons would come up. Oh. So wow. Just something like that might
1: might happen. Somebody told us uh, by email that they were developing a Planets plugin for for Planets, so... So obviously your engine here works for planetoids, and and does that mean we could look at the moon or Mars or or Jupiter with this thing someday?
5: Uh, one of our developers, our uh, open source developers, actually already has a Mars patch. Really? It's basically he's been working on getting the Mars textures and best imagery of Mars he can get and throwing them inside a whirlwind.
4: In the future, we'll be able to uh, talk to the people, you know, the original Mars team, and hopefully, um, as we show off the program and so on, we'll be able to grab their original information and import it into WorldWind. And uh, we're really looking forward to that one.
2: Is uh, going to be uh, some, tricky some tricky math because the, the planets, planets are different sizes, scaling, uh, scaling uh, the, uh, uh, the longitude long and latitude to a different surface, surface like that.
1: that. Hey, uh, that that brings me. I, I guess there's lots and lots and lots of little departments all over NASA. And uh, this is just but one project that's going on. Do you notice any other .NET projects happening at NASA? Do you know of any?
5: Uh, I haven't really found any substantial ones. There was another group at um, at our center at Ames that was doing um, something with the space station using Managed DirectX and C Sharp. Wow. Um, they were trying to visualize the, the space station. But other than that, it's, I guess I mean, I haven't seen anything,
3: yeah,
1: but then again, you know you've probably got blinders on in terms of just working on your on your project now
5: well it's actually all it's also kind of hard to to know what other groups in NASA are doing i mean yeah. it's it's like if we want to get the mar the best Mars imagery available, it's not exactly straightforward to find the people responsible for that
3: hey
1: Chris, were you uh interested in astronomy in college, or is this something that uh you you got a, a uh, you went to work for NASA and you just fell into it.
5: Oh no, I, I like astronomy. I have been kind of in science. I watch the Discovery Channel all the time. And, sure. Yeah. You know, it's it's But in terms of, know, study,
1: of
5: study, um Study yeah, except for that one astronomy class, yeah. No, not particularly. Yeah.
0: So what the heck wow. are you doing with NASA, man? <laughs> What's going on here? What's a scam? <laughs>
5: Randy, well, you can answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> <Excuse> me?
4: <laughs> Why am yeah, I here? I mean, it's, it's similar situation, but uh one thing to consider is like, yeah, NASA everyone thinks oh we're launching shuttles into space or rockets and so on. Um right. but it covers a whole lot more than that. Uh more into uh different fields of science such as nanotechnology, you got uh astrobiologists
3: and mm-hmm.
4: every field, including computers, it, um which actually drew me into this project. Uh It could be any of your interests. We're looking for everyone.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I got a comment. It says I'm a Canadian. I'm very uh, uh, pro-McDonald Detweiler, and they put together radar sat, but I don't see any radar sat data here.
5: Hmm. Well, if you tell us where to find it, we'll put it in there.
2: That's a fine question, isn't it? It was a a mission on the shuttle that uh, put a big boom out and scanned the planet in detail using radar. Ooh, that really? sounds cool. Yeah, that send, would them, be an send them that link. I
0: want, it, I want it in the program now. <laughs> <laughs> we do have, uh,
5: at our office, we have, somebody gave us the radar sat for Antarctica, and it, Ooh, it looks amazing. Huh. It's just, But it's in a different kind of projection. Uh, uh, so you have to we just it. haven't gotten around to kind of converting it to, to what we need to use it for. It's not exactly straightforward. So.
2: No, because I think their imagery was in very narrow bands, so it would be challenging to assemble all that.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Well, you'll never guess what I was just doing. Just and In fact, I'm doing right now. I'm looking at a fleet of boats coming in and out of the Panama Canal.
0: Ooh, where's that? That's in Panama, you moron. Well, yeah, but I <laughs> where's mean— Where's that? Is it an animation or are you just looking at— uh, I just zoomed in. Oh, okay. I thought you had an animation of By the way, <laughs> I, I
1: totally retract that. Jeff is not a moron. In fact, he's the anti-moron. In fact, if you've been listening to the show, he's putting all of the, uh, us other morons to shame. Yeah, you guys right. suck.
3: <laughs>
0: I asked the heart. No, but questions. I'm serious.
1: I, I've, I'm counting like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight, or nine ships, and they look huge, uh, coming in or out of. I don't know which way they're going. Looks like they're going out of uh, South the Panama Canal, which is really cool. I've just never seen it. I mean, how often do you get to look down on the Panama Canal? You know, it's awesome.
2: Now, there's one other technology they mentioned in the chat room that I don't know about. Maybe you guys can explain to me, called Hotspots.
5: Yeah, um, there's a website, um, www.worldwindcentral.com. Yeah. And um, what Worldwind users can do is they can, when they find stuff inside of Worldwind, they can save a URL. Worldwind has its own URL protocol, so they can save that and post it onto that website and then um, other users can find out, you know, they can go to that website and see what other people have put up there. And then, you know, they can click the link to open up World Winning, take you right there to what they're looking at. And then the guy there has also um, categorized all that stuff in different categories. So I think one of them is like Celebrity Homes, and then you can find like Bill Gates' house.
2: Oh, cool. <laughs> I've seen it. It's large. Yeah, it is large. And there's a guy on the
1: dock who's staring at you when you go by. Yeah, <laughs> Every time. That's his job Don't, you can't stop out front of bill's place is there let me let me let me ask you this chris um now you're you're talking to um uh, some people experienced with dot net and plugged in at Microsoft is there anything that we can do for you
3: um,
5: uh, not exactly sure <laughs>
1: have you have you do you have a good relationship with uh with Microsoft in terms of tech support and and uh or what have you
5: well, we just recently had a issue with uh, the February um, two thousand and five release of the DirectX SDK and mm-hmm. Managed DirectX, and so we shot off an email to one of our the .NET people who's been kind of helping us. Just, I mean, just a little bit, kind of in the sidelines. Yep. And they got us a response within a day. So I've been pretty impressed with cool. what they've
0: been doing.
1: That's the way it ought to be. That's great. And yeah.
0: I feel stupid. I can't find the canal. I can find Panama, but
2: probably... well, I'm looking at the canal there, Jeff. What's wrong with you? So it's it, there's
1: it actually says Panama. You know, if you turn places on. No, I've got place names on. I'm just if you got place names on, look for Panama. Well, I know it's... where Panama is. And you got yeah. to zoom into the uh, north north. Uh, I, I think I got it. Yeah, to the I, northwest I got it. side. Yeah.
3: Well, alone
1: Yeah. What a great show guys i I can't tell you how much a thrill this has been for me and and look, I mean we've got some guys in the in the chat room
2: uh who are just blown away, so thank you, yeah, they want to know when you're going to leave NASA and go work for a gaming company <laughs>
4: <laughs> That would be fun,
2: yeah, it's an interesting business,
4: yeah.
1: Well any any last minute words of wisdom you want to uh impart uh calls to action I mean uh, not calls to action that's crazy but uh well <laughs> maybe not um you know any anything you want to plug or or talk about before we hang up
3: Well
5: uh, just you know if, you, if for everyone that's downloaded version 1.2e we we expect to have version 1.3 which is our next big release available anytime probably probably by Monday so I would encourage everybody to download that and try it and and uh, down
1: And I can't wait for uh, some sort of plug-in interface that so we could uh, possibly get our hooks in there, you know, easy, easily.
5: That's on the back burner. It's only a matter of time.
1: Excellent. Listen, guys, I want to thank you very much, Chris Maxwell, Randy Kim from NASA, and uh, on behalf of myself and Jeff Masiolek, who did the lion's share of the question asking tonight, <laughs> and uh, Richard Campbell out there in Vancouver all the fans everywhere our friends at Microsoft thanks a lot for listening to and Rocks we'll be back next week be good do good things you know thanks again guys we'll see ya